pretty amazing. You know, one of my favorite hymns is Amazing Grace. I know I'm, I'm not, I'm unique in that. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It's so great that we see Jesus, that we were lost and we were a wretch, but God in Christ has opened our eyes. And you know what, though? I think, I think I'm prone to, and we're all prone to getting cataracts. Anyone ever had a cataract? I just know medically what it's like. It makes things fuzzy. It makes it so you can't see so well. It starts to rob you of your sight. And we get today to look at that. I want to, I want to talk to you today about blindness and what it means to see. And I want to do it from this passage because it's an amazing passage, almost unique in the entire New Testament. Nowhere else does Jesus do a two-step, a two-step healing. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Why, if, if God says you're healed, why you get healed? And yet, today, we get to see that Jesus starts to heal someone, and they kind of get healed. They kind of see, but they don't really see. And then, and then he does it again so that they really see. And this idea of a two-step process, because to see is to trust Jesus, to receive Jesus. As he is, you know, not as we want him to be, and, and, and not as an improver of you or me, not as a helper, not as someone who will help your circumstances be better because you and other Christians will love other people better, all the things we want Jesus to be. Who is he? So my heart for you is that you would trust and receive Jesus in his suffering for you today. And you would see what it means and and it would give you this amazing sight that we could live in the wonder that we really have a Savior. It changes everything. This text today we have even includes one of the worst proof texts in the Bible. When we hit it, you'll see it. And then we'll talk about it. But here it is, blind. We're kind of circling around. But this is the two-step. I want to talk first about blind. And it's, it's, it's about the leaven of the Pharisees, what it means to be blind. Look with me. Mark chapter 8, verse 11 says this. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him. Him is Jesus. Seeking from Jesus a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And then he left them, got into the boat again, went to the other side. Very interesting as he starts, right? He starts about the Pharisees want a sign, and the the tragic irony of the whole piece is that God is standing in front of them. All of the pieces in the Old Testament that point forward as a sign. There's a sign. There's a Savior coming. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be the suffering servant. All these things that the Old Testament talks about as a sign. He's here. You don't need a sign. They're blind, right? Now, they, now we're talking about the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And Jesus cautioned them, saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. 
Something important is going on. The God of heaven to the, 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 the men that he loves, the disciples, the people that he adores there. I want to tell you something really important. It'd be about a little bit like my kids if I said to them, you know what, what kids, the fireplace is on and, and, the, and the, the, the water's boiling. Make sure, make sure that you go down in 10 minutes and take it off and the, my kids are on Facebook. Oh, yeah, Dad, whatever. That's great. No, 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 stop. Wait, this is important. This is this. I'm telling you something really important. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod because that little bit of stuff will come in and it'll affect you. Personal improvement and personal power. This is the great danger and they're more concerned about bread, food. Yay, Jesus, fine, I got it, but they don't got it. And so Jesus is aware of this. Jesus said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you don't have any bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand, have your hearts been hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And and do you not remember? And remember, even as they're arguing for bread, right? That the, the, it's all Jesus, all the He provides for them. He goes into this example. When I when I broke the five loaves or five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the and and the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. You remember both of those, right? We've been through them in Mark, where there's just a massive amount of leftover bread. He said to them, Do you not understand? I have all the improvement you need. I have all the power you need. I will take care of you with the leftovers. So there's this blindness that's being set up that he's demonstrating that the disciples have. It's taking in the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod and not seeing the danger of it. Sounds reasonable, you know, the Pharisees, all about personal obedience to the rules. Right? They were earnest religiosity. That sounds so important and so good for both me personally and for you. Especially for you. And then Herod, right? Your life really about personal power and control, political power. And talk about things that have afflicted the church ever since. Earnest religiosity, Luther called it enthusiasm. That's not a good thing. And, and political power. We gotta change this world. Those two things. And here's God in Christ, and he's here. And I'm just telling you, if you take it in, your your blindness, cataracts. Right? Because really, for your whole Christian life, Jesus has all the obedience. Jesus has all the power. Jesus has all the provision. He knows what you need. Do you trust him? It's always the ticket, right? Sad, I really... Have trouble. Do you yet understand? The answer kind of is no, I don't really. Because this is kind of the blindness piece. Taking in the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod ignorantly. And, and I know if you're like me at all, you're like, well, what, you, what exactly is the leaven of the Pharisees? What is blind? And so here's Jesus. And he takes a step and he does this miracle to show them for his disciples. The two-step. This is the two-step and it's not the dance. Can't do the dance not doing it up here. 
but might take volunteers. No. Right? Because look, look at what he does. This is part of the whole flow of Mark. You don't want to miss it. It's here for a reason. It's here to tie these things together. That here he's talking about, don't you see yet? And then he does this miracle. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought to him a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And, and so Jesus took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village. And when he'd spit on his eyes, hey, talk about superpower, cool stuff. If you can touch the hem of Jesus' garment and you get healed, just think how awesome his spit's going to be. And he laid his hands on him. And then he asked him, do you see anything? And he said, he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Okay, that's not a deep spiritual statement. Some people are trees or something. That just means things are fuzzy, right? I kind of see stuff out there, but I don't really see very well. Then, then, the, the next verse, right? Verse 25, Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly, and he sent him to his home saying, don't even enter, his, enter the village. Yeah, there's going to be several statements about that because Jesus isn't interested in gathering a crowd at this point. He's got tons of crowd. What, what he's interested in is mission. But that's not the point. Only place in the New Testament where there's a two-step. Didn't it work? Couldn't Jesus just with a word? The guy would see, of course he would. He's God, right? Jesus speaks and he'd see that this is a lesson. This is something for us to understand. And the answer isn't find the right kind of medicine. Jesus' spit would work wonderfully. That's not the issue. The issue is, is, is this. He could have healed him. Instead, he asked him, do you see? And the answer is a little. And so there's a further. So I want you, if you think you see, my question is, do you see clearly? That's the question, right? And if you think you see clearly, are you sure? So if you read this, I, I get I get a little doubt. And so I want to know what seeing a little is. And I think it's right there in the text for you and me. I think it's right there in the text as we continue on. It's just seeing a little because look what, what, look what Mark puts right next to this event that only occurs in Mark. This event of the double step healing. So Jesus went on with his disciples in verse 27 to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And along the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And, and he, then he, he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered to him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them all to tell no one about him. Go Peter, right? <laughs> He's right. John, Jesus isn't John the Baptist, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. He's not Elijah, wonder worker amidst the, the worldly kingdoms of the day. Jesus is the Messiah. Christ, the Savior. And I know if you're like me, I think, okay, well, he's got it. He sees. And we start singing. We sang it earlier. I think, Jesus, Messiah. Jesus, Messiah. I see it. I see it. Jesus, you're Messiah. You're the Savior. Savior how? Savior, Savior of what? 
What does that mean, right? Because here's Jesus. He lays it out for them. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and then after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. Oh, you guys get it. You see. Well, here's the plan. This is Jesus' Messiah. This is what it means to suffer, to be rejected, to be killed, and to be resurrected. The salvation I bring is my suffering and death, followed by my breaking death, and your salvation will come by my death and resurrection. This is what salvation is. This is what Jesus' Messiah means, not strength and power and right-handed conquering of this world, not personal overcoming obedience so that you keep all the laws rightly, Mr. Pharisee. No, Jesus says, I've come to die for you. That's seeing, right? And here's Peter. And Peter, so I love Peter, took him aside and began to rebuke him. It's a good idea to rebuke God. (laughs) He rebuked him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Whoa. The greatest of highs. You're the Christ. Oh, Peter, you got it. You're the greatest of lows. Get behind me, Satan. (gasps) Things of man, your understanding is so small. You don't see. You start to see why that healing's there. This is what seeing a little means. Peter's seeing a little. He's confessing Jesus as Christ. He's denying that his only hope is Jesus' suffering and death, that our entire life, his entire life, is based on the received work of Jesus who will raise us from the dead because he suffered and died for us. That's amazing. Do you see why he does the two-step? It's to prevent you from thinking wrongly. Right? Here's here's the deal. Seeing a little is this. I, I identifying Jesus as Savior, but not suffering him. I'm saying that in a certain way, and you people go, oh, what exactly does that mean, Dex? See, Peter's not suffering Jesus. The root word for suffer is to is to receive something, <laughs> to, to to abide by someone else's action on you. And we hate it. I don't want to suffer Jesus' action on me. I want Jesus to help me do my own action. So so with that, now we're ready to walk into and take a step into what it means to really have your sight restored. Because that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. He's taking them, yeah, you see me and you're proclaiming me as Christ. You're saying I'm Messiah, but you don't see. Let Let me help pull you into actually seeing more clearly. Because this is what he did. Calling the crowd to him. So now with his disciples, everybody's gathered around. Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Yeah, this is the one. <laughs> I don't know about you, man. I've, I've sat through countless sermons on personal discipline, personal asceticism, self-sacrifice following Jesus in the sense of going to the cross with him. 
So, so you've got to finish out the paragraph to understand what Jesus is saying and see, but realize before we even finish the paragraph, right, that this is done in the light of Peter denying that Jesus would suffer and die and be resurrected. Peter doesn't think that Jesus will be alone. I'll be with you, Jesus. We can do this together. We, we, we just imagine Peter coming over to rebuke Jesus. Jesus, you're kind of underestimating. These, there's a lot of people following you now. We actually have a lot of support. We, we've grown. We've become stronger. We have more power than you know. We've got crowds rallying and a movement starting and real strength here. Stop, says Jesus. No. You don't have strength. You don't have ability. You have nothing. All you have is my death and my resurrection. Look, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will gain it, save it. So if you work on your life with your strength, if you climb ladders to be stronger, if you think you're saving the world by your love, your deeds, your work, your accomplishing, you're going to lose it. It's not going to go like you think it's going to go. Welcome discouragement. It's on its way. If you lose your life for Jesus' sake, right, that's not martyrdom. That's giving it up. That's seeing your your accomplishments as, as scupula, right? Can I, can I, okay, this is a pulpit bad word. Close your eyes, kids. Crap. That's what it means. It's that kind of garbage. That's Philippians 3, right? That's not going to get you anywhere. Instead, you're seeing that trusting is in the suffering of Jesus for you and the hope of resurrection instead of life improving now. I so just want life to improve now. What does it gain, he, he, he says in verse 36, for it to, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What matters is your soul, and the only hope for you is that Jesus suffered for you and died for you and forgives you and will resurrect you. Your kids can't save you. Your, you can't save them. Food won't help you. Money won't help you. More love won't help. Only Jesus. And only this way, he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus does this on purpose. He lifts up this a bit. got to emphasize. Things are coming. What's the issue? Peter is rebuking God about the method and means of salvation. The method of means he doesn't like that Jesus will suffer and die alone. And, and yet the only hope that anybody has ever is that Jesus will suffer and die alone. <laughs> Nothing now, right? So, so, so that's the thing. There's no hope in you. That's life lost. So if I was going to say this idea of taking up your cross, it's not moral or aesthetic enthusiasm. Take up your cross means do your spiritual disciplines. That's not what Jesus is talking about, even a tiny bit. Aesthetic enthusiasm, that means, that means cutting pieces off. You know, that's being, being, uh, giving up things so that you're, you're denying yourself. 
That's not the thought here. The thought is you don't have any hope in you. That's losing your life. The things I think I'm going to accomplish so I can get to God and say, God, I did it. I I followed you. Me and the 1,400 other Pharisees with us, we did it. There are 14,000, but I was one of the few. Dead end. Life found is life found in Christ. Because he's going to come in glory with his angels. We don't even understand the, the context in which we've been living. There's, there, there's a heavenly, amazing, powerful life. We have it by promise in Christ because of what he did for us. And he's most certainly concerned with do you see? Because, uh, may I speak in humility, we are blind. Or in humility, we, we're, we're mostly blind. We see so dimly. But Jesus is enough. His suffering and death and my picking up my cross to follow him is to receive his suffering and death because I don't really want to. It's to suffer his working on my behalf when nothing of me in it at all. And nothing in this world tells you that's okay. I want Jesus to make me a superhero. I do. I saw it this way. I've watched Spider-Man, one of the ones with the kids this week. I'd love to be Spider-Man. Jesus could be like the little super spider that, that gets, bites me, and then I can have some real powers. I'm even I'm willing to do push-ups to get them, and and pull-ups. I mean, pull-ups are harder. I'll do it if I could just have that little super bite, and 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 then and then and then I'll develop the webbing. Just give me the wall climbing stuff, or Iron Man, or Superman. But I actually, actually, to be more than to be more real, let me just tell you, we all want to be the be the Cleaver family. And leave it to Beaver. And, and I, I know that, that if you're too, you're like, that's like, we don't get that because we're too old, too young. We don't watch that. The ideal family, right? The ideal thing where the, the mom does this and then smiles at her kids and the kids that smiles back at mom. Hi mom. Yeah. Okay. We'll do whatever you say. And they go to, and it's like super family on steroids. And then, and then, and then don't come to my house. Don't see my, cause, cause then the, 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 the vision is broken. When my kid can't, we'll get off the, the phone. And get, yeah, come on, come to dinner. Oh, if I could just have the Cleaver family. If I could just have a work environment that, that where, where people saw the, the, the how I'm working well and how much effort I put into it. We could have unity and, and people would communicate with me. Well, instead, the guy wouldn't send me this email and then they waits for four weeks. They're going behind my back. I just want things, and I want to be better, and I want other people to be better, and I want it now, and I'm going to work on That's that's this. That's the rebuking. That's the the thing. I want to beat the bad guys and and have superpowers. And superpowers aren't aren't the Marvel comic superpowers. They're the moral strength superpowers that seem reasonable to me. That everybody should have them, including me. And 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 there's only Jesus who defeats the powers and principalities for us, and we receive Him. That's a death to ego. That's a life in Him. That, that, that's, you know, we're stuck in the garden where we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we were stuck with this thing of, of measuring and, and, and looking and not trusting and, and trying to figure out ourselves what we're going to do. And we want to create the good. And instead, we're supposed to trust Jesus because he creates the good, not us. Blindness is really self-salvation applied through your life. 
That's why I say it's cataracts, because we start going, yeah, Jesus is Messiah, but then we warp what Messiah means to mean something different than what Jesus is saying. Thus we have this passage. Because we're unwilling to let it all go into the arms of Christ, we're unwilling to suffer the loss of our Eden-given sense of good and evil, but how we should be, and by golly, you'll do it. People who walk along these lines are the ones who proof text Mark 8.34 to say, hey, Jesus wants you to follow him in self-crucifixion. Crucify all your bad bits so that just the good bits remain. Spitball the good stuff. Shine it up. A better idealistic version of you because, because, because we're born with wanting to exercise enthusiasm. That means climbing the ladder sacrificing, proving, being better. And Jesus says, you don't... (laughs) I say this to Jesus. Jesus, you don't have to die for all of me, just the bad bits, just the sin stuff. Jesus, you don't really need to suffer. I'll suffer too with you. You know what, Jesus? How about this? I'll pay it forward. There's a good concept. I'll receive it, and therefore I'll, I'll prove my worth by paying it forward makes total sense. You know who buys into that? Carl's Jr. Whoever, I don't know what the ads were. What, Wendy's? The world. Total sense. Give something. Give it on. Is that irrational? Yes. Is that Christ? No. Jesus paid it all. You're not seeing. To see is to see Jesus suffering because you don't have good bits. Jesus dying because that's what it costs. He's saving you, not helping you be saved. Jesus resurrected because that's our path, right? Death to self is trusting he's going to raise us in spite of, in spite of the very real sin that remains in my life. I see it, but I trust the promise that it's forgiven, that it worked. I just want to end with a couple implications. The first thing is this. Jesus knows. He knows we slip back into this all the time. He did this and put it in the Bible. This two-step healing that he didn't have to do. He gets it. He works with us. He's so patient. He knows we don't get it very well. And and then the other implication to me is the difference between aspirations and reality. Got to get this. Because otherwise it'll be unsettled your whole life. You'll start thinking, my aspirations are where I'm going to get to. And you see the good. You see the good in the law. Do you know the law is fantastic and good? And you should affirm it. And you should want it and long for it. It's beautiful that 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 children should obey their parents. That 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 you should worship the God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That that you should that you should love somebody better than you love yourself. What a fantastic aspiration! As soon as you think. I took a step. I'm moving. It becomes an expectation. And the expectation never happens. That's what the Bible says. There's a difference between aspirations versus reality. You can aspire to goodness and peace and right behavior and right living and right desires. So can the Buddhist. They're not wrong. Why? Because they're getting the law of God in there. <laughs> Aesthetically, you should always think rightly. You should always never wrongly sin. You should aspire towards good things. Fantastic. The difficulty is, it's never our reality. We're humble people. We see the depth of what we are. And we live by the promise of what Jesus says we will be. 
So aspirations, not expectations. And because, because when aspirations become expectations, we start judging ourselves and each other. We start looking for signs. How did this passage start? They came wanting a sign. Not Jesus, but proof. They don't want faith. They don't want to trust. They want to be shown. We want people to show they really have Jesus because having Jesus isn't just trusting he's done it all. It's improving in loving other people and serving other people. I'd love it if those other people that I, I, I wish that those other people would really serve people and the group that they're serving would be me. That would be great. But then even myself. And then you're right back into Romans 7. Paul's saying, I hate it. I see the good. I aspire. I see what it would be like to be sin-free. But here I am. There I go again. And then he follows it up with, there's therefore now no condemnation. Aspirations become expectations because we, we only see dimly. We see Jesus as an enabler of our own religion, of our own power, of help in climbing the ladder, of seeing as a Christian by how well they do taking care of, of other people or of me. How well I do at taking care of another. And instead, instead, when you see Jesus, we're all in. He's our all in all. We take up our cross. What is that? Him alone for me. My aspirations are better, sure, but no expectations because I see that the, the answer is he will resurrect me. My life is by his promise. That's where our hope is. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I see Jesus.